Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. I kind of live in church world, as you know, and maybe you've heard this, maybe you have never heard this, but periodically I remember a preacher somewhere standing on a stage or something saying, hey, um, maybe he was at a sporting event and fans go nuts, they're jumping all over the place, they're shouting at the top of their lungs, they're throwing stuff in the air, and the speaker sometimes or the pastor sometimes says, and that's how we should feel about God. That's what we should express ourselves about God. Why do we holler more loudly at a sporting event than we do just out of celebration for who God is? Now, I don't know, maybe it's my personality, and I don't know about you, but that always feels, makes me feel a little bit awkward. It makes me maybe feel guilty. It makes me feel maybe a tad unspiritual. Anybody with me on that? Because, I don't know, it's just not how I respond to God. And so it makes me feel like I'm less than who I should be, and I'm less than enthusiastic about God's love as I, than I should be, and certainly all those things are true, but it always makes me feel a bit unspiritual. As we're in Ephesians chapter 1, we're looking at some of the core things that we believe as followers of Jesus, but we're also looking at how Paul's heart does explode with joy as he talks about the truths of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We already referenced the one verse at the beginning of the service. Paul begins in Ephesians 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul mentions right out of the chute, Praise be to the God and Father. Throughout these verses in 3 through 14, he mentions praise. He talks about the pleasure of God. And so his soul does echo with joy and delight. But I think what's happening is this. Often, you might have seen this, we talk about, by the way, you're all in trouble. Because, you know why? Because like, first, nine o'clock service was a three-page flip chart service. Three pages. So, yeah, you're like, oh, no. Um, and over here, we have joy. Happiness is, you can kind of see this in another word. It's based on what happens or happenstance. Happiness is based on what happens. It's based on circumstance. It's based on, on kind of what the things are going on around us. Happiness can be exciting. It can be exuberant. But happiness is based on the here, now, this moment. My team scores a touchdown. Somebody hits a home run. And I explode in happiness. But the next inning the guy strikes out or he makes an error or we lose the game and suddenly my happiness evaporates because what happens doesn't suit me. What happens, the happenstance of what happens next doesn't make me happy anymore. And I think what's happening in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is, yes, there, this by the way is a gift from God. Meaning God's amazing creation, how he's created you 
there are things that cause us happiness, and I'm glad anytime you, you explode in joy or exuberance or happiness, that is a gift from God. If you have great joy in a team winning or somebody hitting a home run, like that actually is part of the world that God has created, that you should receive that and have happiness in that as a gift from him. But I think what's happening in Ephesians 1 is not so much this, but this. Paul is expressing joy. He's expressing delight. Maybe, I don't know if this helps you, but it kind of helps me to sometimes visualize things. And maybe this helps me a little bit. If you think of the ocean, and if you're a beach person, maybe you go to the beach a couple times during the summer or whatever. And, you know, when you're at the ocean and you're on the beach, like, it's pretty much only the first almost less than 100 yards that you actually enjoy, that you actually have fun in. Maybe you wade, ride waves, maybe you surf or whatever, but it's really not that far out where you have your fun and your playtime, and that's a place where you kind of do your stuff or your water sports or whatever. But a massive ship that comes into shore that close will actually ground itself. For the ship to stay afloat, yes, it's in the same ocean. It's, it's kind of part of this, but it's in a part of the ocean that's much deeper. And there's something, there's, there's a water that has depth that can only hold the weight of a ship. Yeah, happiness is, is probably belongs to the world of joy, but it's kind of based on what happens, the happenstances in our lives, whereas joy is based on something more foundational. It's based on the truth of who God is. It's based on the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not dependent on what happens. It's not dependent on circumstances. It's much deeper than that. So even though happiness sort of belongs to the world of joy, it's not equal to it. Just like the first hundred yards of the ocean, yeah, it's part of what it looks like to have like frivolous joy in the ocean, but it's not going to hold the weight of a giant ocean liner. That needs the depth of the ocean. And so, yes, this is a gift of God, but what your heart and soul needs is something much deeper. It needs the depth of the ocean of who God is in his character. And we just saw a little video of um, Kelly Capic, who's going to be with us for Accelerate Weekend. And throughout this series, we've also been kind of using this little visual of that the best way to get air out of a vase is not by putting your mouth on it, sucking as hard as you can, or by getting all kinds of mechanical equipment to create a vacuum in this thing, which will make it implode. But the best way to get out, air out of the jar is actually to put something else in it, namely water. And the way that we live life the way that we tend to live life is we try to fill, our, we, we know there's a vacuum in here. We know it's got to be filled. But we often try to fill it with this kind of stuff, thinking that if I get enough circumstances, if I, if I get enough right happenstance, if the right things happen to me, if I can make things happen in my life, then my life will be filled. That would be true if you weren't a spirit, if you were only emotional being, that would actually work. You could fill your life with as much happenstance and pleasant happenings as you could. And if you were only an emotional being, that would actually work. It would make your life full. But the truth of the matter is, you're not just an emotional person. You're mental, you're emotional, but you're also spiritual. 
And so the spiritual part of you has a depth that only an ocean liner can accommodate. And so your life needs the depth of an ocean to give balance and to, give, to make your life be filled with not just happiness, but with joy. And so rather than trying to fill it with happiness and happenstance to make you happy, instead we fill it with the truth of who God is. Because the truth of who God is will actually give sufficient substance to your life to enable you to feel joy. That's what's happening in Ephesians chapter 1. I asked Liv to come up, and she is going to read verses 3 through 14. Once again, as we read these verses, it's one unending run-on sentence. Uh, As Paul talks about this, something we've been highlighting so far, is that it's intensely theological. It's deep theologically. Paul talks about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is not shallow stuff. This is not first hundred yards of the ocean. This is the ocean hundreds of miles deep. And yet, Paul speaks with a level of joy and delight and praise. And you can hear that tone of joy, delight, and praise, as well as substance and depth in this one giant, long, run-on sentence from 3 through 14. This morning, we're going to be particularly focused on the end, which references the Holy Spirit. So live, uh, read these verses to us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Thank you, Liv. Uh, You heard Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You heard a depth of Paul's language of joy. And so this morning we're going to do, again, a little bit of review on Father and Son that we've looked at the last two weeks, but then we're also going to get to to the work of the Holy Spirit that happens toward the end of those verses. What you find in Scripture is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit make up what's called the Trinity. That God is one being, and yet he exists in three persons. There's a dynamicness to the person of God. He's not just raw power. He's not just raw authority. He's not just a solitary figure that sits in the sky. No, there's a, a dynamicness to the person of God in that he exists in three persons. 
And what's really cool about Scripture is, as we often say here at Southridge, it's one giant story. It's not a bunch of little stories. It's one story of how we got here, how we got into the mess that we are, how God is redeeming and restoring that mess, and how God will eventually bring his work to full fruition. And what you find is that the work of the Trinity is emphasized, especially in sort of two environments in the story of Scripture. It's emphasized in the original creation, when God creates in Genesis chapter 1. By the way, throughout the series also, we're looking at some of our core beliefs, and our board of elders is actually working through some tweaks to our statement of faith here at Southridge. Uh, We're going to talk about that more early 2024, because we're adding some things, particularly when it comes to understanding who we are as human beings, and so we're making some adjustments to our statement of faith that more round out who God has created human beings to be. But we're also tweaking some of our statements related to who the person of God is. Here's what we say about our belief about God the Father. We believe in the personal existence of God, the creator, who is infinite and perfect and has chosen to reveal himself to mankind through creation, his son, his spirit, and his word. God sustains his creation and orders the affairs of people and nations according to his sovereign wisdom and eternal plan. One God exists in a community of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of whom possess the attributes of God and are equally God. Maybe this is going to overly simplify this, but this helps me out, and I think we did this maybe a couple of years ago. When it comes to the Trinity, we have the Father. And you might say the Father, his role is best described as the initiator. The Father initiates. In Genesis chapter 1, God takes the initiative in bringing about creation. Before we get on to his work in new creation, let me just say this as well. This is kind of cool. I just learned this this week. don't want to take too much time in it. But the, the first, uh, I was reading some stuff from a Jewish scholar, and he pointed out, and I never heard this before, he pointed out the very first Hebrew letter of the Old Testament book of Genesis, you read Hebrew, by the way, from right to left rather than left to right, so you read it the opposite way that you read English, but the very first Hebrew letter that begins all of the Bible is a letter that's called Beit, and it kind of looks like this, and this Jewish scholar was saying that uh, Jewish teachers have historically understood this also as symbolically. This is kind of like the word in. It says in the beginning. That's, it begins the whole Hebrew Bible within. He said all of your life is sort of captured in this bracket. At the first Hebrew letter of all of Scripture, in one sense, it's kind of like a bracket. And it's kind of signifying that everything else that flows is the story that God is writing, which means this. Every little detail of your life No matter how incidental, no matter how accidental it may seem, happens within the brackets of a story God is writing. You may not understand it. It may be a mystery to you. It may confuse you. But there's not one solitary thing in your life that doesn't belong 
in the brackets of the story that God is writing your life to be. Some of you probably this morning feel like, no, my story is like up here somewhere. No, it's like over here. It's down here. It's out here. It's not. Every detail of your life is in this story. Everyone. There's not a shred of who you are that falls outside of the first letter of all of Scripture. That's essentially a bracket. says, no, this belongs to you. God's out here somewhere. He, he, he sees the bigger picture. Only God is outside of the bracket. It's the work of the Father. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which is freely given us in the one that he loves. You can hear the initiating work of God. The Father is the initiator. He initiates the plan of original creation. He initiates the plan of the new creation that's to be accomplished in Christ. He's the initiator. We've talked a couple weeks ago that God's work is woven all through this, and sometimes how God's activity and his initiate, what he initiates is sometimes a mystery with our response, and I'm not sure how all of those fit together. But we do know this, is that God sovereignly ties those things together. One of the things at Southridge that you'll find out if you become a member here, we would encourage you to do that, is that we ask our members to write their faith story in other words, how God, how they came to recognize their need for Jesus as Savior and how they gave their lives to him. One of our faith stories I was actually reading this week, and this gentleman mentioned that he grew up and he remembers hearing the truth about who God is in his grand, one of his grandparents' rooms. He says he remembers at 10 years old praying in one of his grandparents' study room that he said that I would sincerely want to know God, love him, belong to him. And then this gentleman made this statement I thought it was so profound. He says it wouldn't be, he prayed this prayer at 10 years old. He said it wouldn't be until much later in life that I realized it wasn't me calling out to him, but him who can call and bring us to himself. He said at 10 years old, my grandparents' study, I remember praying to God asking God, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to belong to you. But he said it was many, many years later that he realized even in that moment, it wasn't so much him calling out to God, but God calling out to him. God is the initiator. The father initiates. What does the son do? The son accomplishes The son accomplishes. Remember again the story of original creation. The words of scripture are, and God said. Later on in John's gospel, we hear that the word that God speaks is actually his son, Jesus. That his word accomplishes things. It executes things. And ultimately, Jesus comes as the physical presence of God's word. And so it's 
literally Jesus who is the creator. When it says in Genesis 1, and God said, that's the creator, Jesus, bringing into existence what God has initiated in terms of his creation. In the new creation, here's what we looked at in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. So God initiates the plan of redemption, but he sends his son, Jesus comes, he puts on flesh and blood, he's born in a manger, he walks our road, he gets our dust on his feet, he drinks our water, he heals people, eventually he's crucified on a cross, not for his own wrongdoing, but for to take on himself the curse of evil and sin and wickedness in our world. He puts the burden of our separation on himself, on his physical body, on the cross. He's buried in a tomb and then raised to life. He executes, he accomplishes what the Father has initiated. Of the 10 times redemption occurs in the New Testament, seven of them are in Paul's letter, and three of those are in Ephesians. So the word redemption shows up in our New Testament 10 times. Seven are in Paul's letters, and three are in the book of Ephesians. It's Jesus who carries out God's plan of redemption. It's Jesus who pays the price. It's Jesus who bears the cost of our separation from God and executes the Father's plan for us to be reunited back to God. You know, just a couple, of, maybe even next week, I'm not sure, we'll be uh, announcing understanding baptism. In November, we have a baptism service. And if you've seen baptisms at Southridge, you know that when we do that, we completely immerse a person under the water and bring them up. Why do we do that? Because it's this visible picture of what it means to be in Christ, the one who accomplishes and executes and makes real our redemption. When we're lowered into the water, it pictures us being united with Christ in his death, that he takes the cost of our separation from God, that he takes our sin, our evil, our wickedness, our wrongdoing on himself, and so we're lowered into the water to picture that our separation is buried with Christ in the tomb. Then we bring the person up out of the water, symbolizing that they receive new life in Christ, that they're washed clean. And that's executed, that's accomplished through the Son. He's the one who's crucified. He's the one who's buried. He's the one who's raised to life. And so the father initiates, the son accomplishes. And now this morning, we're going to look at the spirit for a few minutes. The spirit activates. Again, I'm over, way oversimplifying this. But father initiates, the son accomplishes, the spirit activates. The spirit causes to become alive in us. What the Father has willed, what he's determined to do, what the Son has accomplished, his death, burial, and resurrection, the Holy Spirit applies that to our lives to actually transform us into God's sons and daughters and make us into who God desires for us to be. That's the work 
of the Holy Spirit. Remember, in the original creation, where does the Holy Spirit show up? We read in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God, Father initiates. God said, that's the Son, accomplishing, executing, bringing creation into being. And then we read, the Spirit hovers over the waters. And so the Spirit activates the creative will of the Father. He activates the creative word of the Son. He breathes into the human's nostrils the breath of life. Same word, spirit, there, and we become living beings. The spirit activates the will of God. And the spirit applies, activates God's plan of redemption in our lives. He transforms us into the person that God wants us to be. Verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians 1 say this. When you believed, you are marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, listen to this, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What does it say? You are marked with, in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you belong to him, if you are in Christ, you are sealed by God's spirit, meaning you belong to him. There is no person, no force of darkness that can steal you from being God's possession because you're in Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Just yesterday, I ran out to get my mail. And I uh, opened my mailbox, there were a few letters in there, so I grabbed them, took them in the house, and started tearing them open. And uh, there were a couple of letters from Allstate. Now, I have Allstate insurance, and so it's not a big deal for me to get letters from Allstate, get them all the time. And, uh, but I hardly ever read that stuff, quite honestly, you know, because it's probably the same as you. And so I just tore them open, and, and I was kind of going to just throw them away because they didn't really make much sense to me. But as I kind of glanced, I'm like... And I just seemed irrelevant to me. They seemed like they were talking about Z, and I had no idea what Z was even about. And so I was like, I was literally about ready to throw them away. And I thought, well, I just got to like, like read like who it's written to. And, and sure enough, it was actually addressed to my right house address. My house address was right, it was on the letter. But the name was the name of my next door neighbor. And so I had broken the seal. I just tore open the envelope, opened the letter. It was Allstate, and I get mail from Allstate. Never even prompted me to even look at who it was actually addressed. It was sent to my house address, but it was actually to her, not me. And so I sent her a text. I said, hey, I'll drop these off, and I'll probably do it this afternoon. And, uh, you know, you can have your mail or whatever. But, but here's the deal. I... I you could say I literally kind of violated the seal and I opened a letter that didn't rightfully belong to me, even though it was said all state and was my address. It was actually to her. When God gives us the Holy Spirit, he says, you are sealed. And there's nobody else that can open that letter. That God's work in you to transform you, to bring about your full redemption, to bring about his dream 
for this glorious grace of who you're to be. There's not a single force or person on this earth, even you, that can actually violate the beauty of what God's going to do in your life. You're sealed. And unlike me breaking the seal of an envelope, God says you are sealed with the all-powerful, infinite work of the Holy Spirit. And there is nothing that can violate the seal that you will eventually be the beautiful person of God's son and daughter who he's created you to be. Right now you have that status. You are his son. You are his daughter because you're in Christ. And no matter what you face, no matter what disruptions happen in your life, nothing can violate the beauty of what God is accomplishing as he makes you more fully his son and daughter and one day fully completes that new creation. We'll actually talk a little bit about that more next week. How does that work in the moment? How does that work with the vase that's your life? Maybe just kind of one couple quick illustrations for me. I remember when I was young, probably in my teenage years, and I've mentioned this before, but I had all kinds of doubts and fears as to whether or not I belonged to God. Um, and maybe you can connect with this. Maybe some of you can't. Uh, but I prayed, God, I accept Jesus as my Savior. Um, I'm yours. And if I didn't mean it last week, to this week I know that I mean it. And then sure enough, what would happen next week? Well, like, what if I really didn't mean it last week? Like, what if I actually was, what if I mean it more this week than I did last week? And so I do that all over again. And I kind of like do that continuously because constantly in my mind and in my heart, fear, uncertainty gnawed at my heart and my life. And I, I just really didn't live in the freedom of being a full recipient of God's grace and the freedom and mercy that he had given me. And I guess it was maybe, maybe eight years after that, probably in my early 20s as I continued to grow, that I realized that, wow, like some of those things had dissipated for me. And here's sort of the insight that I had. When I had fear and doubt in my jar, what was happening in my life is my, my faith and my trust was not in the Holy Spirit. My faith and my trust was in my faith and in my trust. And so it, that would cause me to question, was my faith actually real? Did I actually mean it? And so my faith was not in Jesus and the Holy Spirit to seal me. My faith was in the strength of my own faith to seal me. And the more I beat myself up that I didn't have enough faith, the worse that it got. Remember we said we can't kind of like get the air out by like sucking it out. You, I couldn't suck fear and doubt out of my life. The more I worked to suck it out of my life, the more it was there. The more I was haunted with it. Why? Because I was, I was trusting not in the work of Jesus, not in the work of the Holy Spirit. I was actually trusting in my own faith. And so it was actually when I began to more deeply cultivate what it means that I belong to God, not because of my faith, 
or the strength of it, not because of my sincerity. Yes, I needed to have enough faith to call out to him, but it was ultimately the person of Christ who held me. It was the person of the Holy Spirit who sealed me. My own faith did not seal me. The Holy Spirit sealed me. And as I cultivated that into my life, as I pushed that into my being, it started to push out some of the fear and some of the doubts. One last thing, and we'll, again, we'll talk a little bit more next week about the whole idea of transformation and, and how that works. And um, we'll kind of go into hopefully some level of detail about that. But often when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, we have a kind of fact and certainty on this side. And it's kind of a continuum. Over here we have experience or feeling. And often when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's kind of on either one of those ends of the spectrum. Uh, there's maybe a group of folks who, like, it's just fact, it's just certainty. Just lock that in your brain and nothing else matters. And probably, actually, maybe in the, I don't know, mid-1900s or so, just the last century, 1950 or so, it was kind of a lot going on over here. There's another perspective that says, no, it's, it's about experience. you got to feel it. Like the Holy Spirit is somebody that I feel, that I experience. And in some ways, this is pretty gaining some prominence today out of a reaction against this over here. This is kind of like brain over This is like, like brain Christianity. And maybe this is just like emotion Christianity. And so there's been a lot of reaction to this lack of balance and emotion has been kind of focused on. We don't do this perfectly, but I think by reading Ephesians chapter one, it seems to me like both of these are true. And so we try to strike a balance and obviously we don't do it perfectly, but here's the deal. Yes, there are truths that are essential. Those truths make up the depth of the ocean. Those truths carry the weight of the ocean liner. And yet, if you read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, there's facts about the Father, facts about the Son, facts about the Holy Spirit. That's deep doctrinal stuff. But it's not just brain activity for Paul. It's being activity. It's not just emotional activity for Paul. It's being activity. And so Paul also says, praise be to God. He talks about God's glorious grace. And that's not just brain words for him. Those are being words that he, he senses that in his soul. It fills his vase. There's something of true joy and delight in the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is actually experienced and felt by the Apostle Paul. Is it just feeling and experience and emotion? No. Is it just brain and fact and certainty? No. Yes, this is true. But somehow, Paul lives right here in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. He's solidly clear about what the facts are of faith. He's solidly clear. The Father is the initiator. The Son accomplishes the plan of redemption. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit who activates the work of God in your life. And that brings joy. It brings delight. It pushes out 
often some of the junk that fills our vase. I'm going to ask our team to come out, and we're going to close with a song, and then I'll come back out, and we'll just make sure you've got locked into your being as you leave this room some stuff in your vase that needs to be pushed out. We'll conclude our time with that later on. But this song that we're about to sing reminds us that we have a God who stays with us. We have a God who's relentless about pursuing us. His Holy Spirit activates the work of Christ in our lives. Your sin, your shame, your failures, we'll sing about this, do not determine who you are. They need to be flushed out of your vase. The reality of God's presence with you, the fact that he stands with you, the fact that you are redeemed to the person of Jesus, the fact that you are sealed and belong to God through the work of the Holy Spirit, that needs to fill your being. It's not just brain activity, it's being activity. So this song references the power of the Holy Spirit who is the continuing presence of God in our lives to activate his truth in our beings. So let's sing this together. on me by now I would have labeled me a lost cause cause I feel just like a lost cause if I were you I would have turned around and walked away I would have labeled me beyond repair cause I feel like I'm beyond repair but somehow you don't see me like I do somehow still here you're the God who stays you're the God who stays you're the one who runs in my direction when the whole world walks away you're the God who stands with open arms and you tell me nothing I have ever done except Every time I thought I let you down I always thought I had to earn my way But I'm learning you don't work that way Sometimes you don't see me like I do Sometimes you're still here You're the God who stays You're the God who stays Yeah.
out of this room with identifying something in your vase, in your life, that needs to be flushed out through the beauty of God's truth being put in. Maybe what needs to be flushed out is that in your mind, you tend to think of the stuff in your life as being outside of the brackets of the first letter of the Bible, that your story is messed up. It's too many mistakes and it's too painful. And it's outside of the story that God is writing and so it doesn't belong to him. Maybe that's what's got to be flushed out and you've got to put in that no, your story belongs. As messy and as mysterious and as painful as it is, somehow your story belongs within the brackets of that first letter. Maybe you can identify with some of my early experiences of just constantly wondering, like, I don't know, like, do I belong? I mean, first, yes, turn to Jesus choose to belong to him but from there on out it's his job yes your life will change but it's the Holy Spirit who seals you not you your trust is not in your own faith your trust is in the person of Jesus and his work and so maybe what needs to be flushed out is fear and doubt and what needs to be put in is you are sealed Maybe what needs to be flushed out is doubt whether or not God is actually going to accomplish his full work of redemption in your life. That there's some pieces that are there, they're just irreparably damaged. That you can't even envision stepping into God's presence as a glorious person redeemed by him because there's stuff that's irreparably damaged. You're not going to get rid of that by obsessing about it. You get rid of it by pouring in that the work of the Holy Spirit to bring about the full redemption of Christ in your life, nothing can stop it. Nothing can violate it. You will get there not through your efforts, but through the work of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you would accomplish these things in our lives. Thank you for the Father who initiates, who runs in our direction. Thank you for the Son who accomplishes, who comes to earth and gives his life and is crucified, buried, and raised again. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who activates the truth of God in our lives. May we leave 
having those truths poured into the vases of our lives. And may that, that which is not of you be flushed and expelled out. We ask that in Jesus, it's in his name we pray. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. Right down here to the right. God bless. Enjoy the sunshine and have a wonderful day.